Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 131 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Today's show is part of an ongoing intermittent series highlighting the partners of the Warrior Wellness Alliance. I have a conversation with Dr. Sheila Rausch of the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program, part of the Warrior Care Network, a program of the Wounded Warrior Project. It's a memory that's stuck, basically. That's what PTSD is. Um, And you can have a memory that's stuck from combat, from natural disasters, from child sexual abuse, from, uh, you know, other horrible traumatic experiences that people have throughout their lives. It's really that that memory is stuck. And the interventions that work for making that memory get unstuck again are the same, regardless of, of how, you know, what type of memory it is that's stuck. We, we use the same tools to get that memory to start being processed again. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast, and thanks for checking us out. Today's show is one in a series of shows in which we're talking to the partners of the Warrior Wellness Alliance, introduced to us by Casey Kelly of the George W. Bush Institute back in episode 54. The Warrior Wellness Alliance is a program that's bringing together veteran support organizations such as The Mission Continues, Team Rubicon, Team RWB, with organizations that provide mental health and wellness services to veterans like the Warrior Care Network. In episode 92, we brought you veteran mental health professional Dr. Michael Brennan, who works with the Rush University Road Home Program. Uh, Dr. Brennan's program is one of a number of centers of excellence in veteran mental health as part of the Warrior Care Network. Today, we're talking to a representative of another Warrior Care Network program, Dr. Sheila Rausch of the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that uh, you were able to make the time. I know that uh, I'm a a huge fan of what Wounded Warrior has been doing for veterans for many years, but also the focus on uh, mental health and wellness that has been um, a, a focus more recently over the last several years with the Warrior Care Network. Um, and definitely want to get into um, how the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program do, is part of that. Before we do that, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Oh, all right. Um, so I've been a psychologist for almost uh, a little over 20 years, actually, right now, and uh, working with uh, veterans and civilians with post-traumatic stress disorder has been my area of expertise and my passion. Um, I really enjoy working with trauma survivors and helping people to get their lives back after being through difficult experiences. Um, So I took that passion, actually joined the VA after um, 9-11. I joined the VA really with the um, idea that I wanted to set up programs uh, for the people that were going to be fighting for my freedom um, so that we could take care of them if they were having trouble when they got back. 
Um, and so that's kind of what I've been doing for many years. Um, I was excited to um, be invited to help design the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program after the Wounded Warrior Project funded us in 2015. Um, and to really be able to set up a program from the ground up exactly how we wanted it to be um, to address the invisible wounds of war in our post 9-11 service members. You see, that's great. And, and obviously, yes, 9-11 was uh, a day of national reckoning. I mean, it took a lot. I was in the military at the time. I was actually in Germany. Um, and it caused a lot of people to sort of reassess, um, you know, what they wanted to do. Um, and you were already practicing as a mental health professional by then. And, and you chose to serve by joining the VA. Had you worked with veterans before that? I had worked a little bit because I was in the area of post-traumatic stress disorder already. Um, but I had mostly worked with civilians up until that point. Um, and from 2005 on, it's been very much the flip-flop of that, that I worked way more with uh, veterans and military service members than with civilians. See, in, in being in um, the mental health profession, I've talked to many providers, um, you know, those first couple years, two, three, four um Obviously, there wasn't a lot of current veterans still. There was some uh, focus was on maybe Vietnam veterans, but everybody got a sense of we knew what was going to be happening. Um, but then you got into the VA right when the the first wave, I guess, of veterans started to come back and started to need that support. Yep. Yep. It was um, it was an interesting time because uh, we very much had a couple of different populations in VA that we were working with that had different needs. Um, but the nice piece was that it gave me the opportunity to um, I, I, I had been actually the beginning of my career was working in post-traumatic stress disorder treatment development and um, mechanisms research and being able to use what we knew about how treatment works and what treatment works to design programs in the VA um, and now also in the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program. Right. And, and that's the, the idea, you know, uh, of course, um, you know, those who are listening to this may not be familiar with you know, military and mental health. Um, PTSD, of course, is a significant component of um, of what what veterans are dealing with when they're coming back. Um, but it's still a relatively new um, sort of diagnosis. Everybody knows and it was called, you know, uh, soldier's heart, civil war and shell shock and and things like that, battle fatigue. Uh, but it wasn't until the early 80s that it was really identified as a um, as a condition. Um, and it really wasn't until sort of the 90s, you know, as you said, when, when you first started coming in, that that it really started looking at what are the things that could actually address these issues. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's when a couple of treatments, uh, prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy among them, as well as some medications, uh, really came out of that time. Um, and now we have actually several very well-established and effective treatment options for post-traumatic stress disorder um, that are available in uh, the Warrior Care Network as well as in other community and VA settings. So then, you know, it, it, like you said, you started implementing programs for the VA, but then you started off, um, and, and I, I this is sort of a a program developer's dream is to start with nothing and build it the way you want it um, rather than, you know, come in and trying to fix something. Uh, I'd like to hear about the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program, um, it, what it is now, but maybe even how it developed over time. Right. Um, so the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program is a, a program focused on addressing the invisible wounds of war, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury are the two most common invisible wounds that we work with. And the point of our program is really working on reducing those symptoms of PTSD and TBI at the same time as we're helping people to find new areas of focus in their life and new values so that they can maintain those gains that they make in the treatment programs that we have to offer. Um, the program, the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program has uh, two modes of care. We offer standard weekly treatment options um, like most outpatient clinics would have. But what we're most proud of and what I'm most excited about is actually our two-week intensive outpatient program that we can take uh, warriors from all over the United States um, with PTSD or and TBI. 
um, and we do a two-week treatment program that results in really um, transformative impact on their life. People are taking their lives back, no longer having PTSD or having such large reductions in PTSD that they're able to do the things that they want to do again. Um, and then the other thing that I find really exciting about our two-week program is um, that it addresses one of the biggest issues in PTSD treatment, and that's uh, retention or treatment dropout, if you say it a different way. Um, in outpatient care, standard outpatient care, typically for post-traumatic stress disorder, whether you're talking about medication or psychotherapy, rates of drop before people receive a full dose of treatment are about 50%. Um, in our two-week intensive outpatient program, we have over 90% of patients who come are completing that program. Um, and I really see that as uh, we're addressing post-traumatic stress disorders, uh, disorder of avoidance, um, that people are haunted by these memories. They avoid thinking about them. They avoid approaching them. Um, and since the treatments are really focused on helping people to approach the memory, helping people to um, think about the, the traumatic experiences they've had, we're overcoming that avoidance uh, by having them come in and we take it all apart in two weeks instead of them having to go home each week and figure out how to live their life while they're still working on this difficult thing. Week after week, they have to make that choice to come back. And in an, in an intensive outpatient program, that's no longer an issue. They come, we bang it all out, we work on it, we move them to a new place of functioning, um, and then they take that and we provide additional support and services um, in our uh, discharge planning to make sure that they're maintaining gains. You know, there's uh, definitely been a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of discussion lately, but the evidence is starting to show that a shorter term um, course of treatment, a more intensive course of treatment over the shorter term, um, it, like you just said, just, you know, veterans stay there, uh, but it can be more effective than, say, the 15, you know, uh, session protocol, you know, stretch over, over four different months. Um, and, and so the research is, is starting to show that actually addressing this within this two or three week period, um, can be more beneficial. That, that's absolutely right. And that's what we've seen in our program. Um, I would say when I first came uh, to the Emory Veterans Program and we were setting up this two-week intensive, I wasn't convinced that that was the way to treat PTSD because I thought people needed to be in their lives, to be practicing these things in their lives. Um, and what I've actually learned from watching the patients go through it is pulling people out of their life and having work on their PTSD be their full-time job for two weeks is actually working better. <laughs> and that we're getting people to approach things uh, that may have, they may not have been able to before. We're getting people to stay in treatment who maybe wouldn't have before. We can address comorbidities more effectively in this intensive environment where, um, where we see this person each day, all day. Um, it's really a unique uh, opportunity to help some really um, some people who have been having a lot of difficulty um, to move and take their lives back again. You know, it, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I definitely appreciate the, uh, uh, the skepticism, right? I mean, it just, it sort of flies in the face of what we believe to be true. But as you were talking, I just realized what would it be like if, um, if basic military training was just done one day a week for like nine months? Right. I mean, if we got the yeah. same amount of time, I mean, you know, like you said, the dropout rate would be significant. But no, they take a right. civilian out of their environment. They they train them to be a service member and then they release them or they put it releases a good word, maybe. But they put them. But then the individual it begins. And so it's it's really the same kind of concept. And it seems counterintuitive. But again, airborne school, you know, if I did airborne school two days a week for five months, I don't know that I would have gotten to the point of jumping out of airplanes. But you the military does this, they take the individual from their unit, and they go and they immerse them into some kind of training event. Um, and then they come out the other side. Um, and so looking at it that way, it makes total sense. Yep. Yeah. And, and um, all, 
I am data driven myself. I, I am a clinician, but I'm also a researcher. So I like to look at the data to see the data. And I've really been sold on the responses based on our patients' uh, reactions, based on what our patients are telling us about their symptoms, about what they think about this program. We've had lots of patients come in who have tried treatment before, who have had multiple episodes of care where they haven't been able to complete in a weekly setting, um, who have actually told us coming here and just banging it all out is what made it work for me. It's what helped me to not, um, I didn't have to make that choice every day, every week. I made it once and then I finished off the work that I needed to do. See, and, and, and obviously, you know, you, you don't doubt the feedback or the numbers or, or even seeing what the long-term gains are. Um, but, you know, here we are um, 18 years in. Imagine a, a, a veteran who served in Iraq in 04, or, um, you know, some of the earliest parts in Afghanistan, and they're just now reaching out for help. I'm starting to see veterans that, you know, two or three years after, but going on 10 to 12 years after. And so a veteran who's been struggling with this for 10 to 12 years, in my mind, I'm hearing them say, there's no way. That this can be done. I've been dealing with this for over a decade, and you're telling me that this is going to be done in two weeks. Yeah, I, I would say that we can see huge changes in two weeks. I wouldn't say that you're done because most of the people we work with, once you take the PTSD symptoms and reduce them, um, there's still other stuff getting back to life, getting back to work if that's their choice, getting um, back into their family and fixing those connections, that stuff doesn't change until the PTSD is reduced. And then they've got more resources to have a relationship with someone else or to talk with their wife about the trouble that they've been having or their husband. Uh, we see lots of female veterans too. Um, yeah. So it's not that everything is going to be golden in two weeks. It's that, that PTSD symptom profile and those PTSD symptoms that people spend entire days trying to manage, that that's going to be taken out of the picture so that you have those emotional resources and that energy to deal with the other stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate how you, you point that out. It's sort of like, you know, the, the PTSD is the high water mark, right? And that's the, the, the level overflowing the tank. But once you start to drop that level, then other things that are underneath that surface are, are going to start cropping up. And you mentioned before about comorbidities. Uh, I assume you're probably thought you yeah, definitely, you just mentioned uh, uh, relationship difficulties, which is a, an entirely separate issue. Um, substance abuse concerns, I'd imagine depression and anxiety. Those are sort of some of the other things that are, are, are occurring along with PTSD. That's, yeah, that's true. And for our um, intensive outpatient program, we have a lot of leeway to deal with a lot of comorbidity. So depression, most of the patients we see are also depressed. It's over half of our patients meet for that comorbidity. Um, a lot of the patients that we see are misusing alcohol and other substances. Um, that's one area that if that substance abuse is to the point that we're concerned for physical health or for um, that the person would need medical detox, that needs to be addressed before we're able to take them into the two-week program. Um, but if the person is willing to commit to not using alcohol or drugs while they're in the two-week program, then we can bring them in. And we sometimes will work with people, with their local providers to um, get some substance abuse reduction before we bring them into care. Um, but yeah, um, other comorbidities that we see include panic disorder, um, personality disorder issues. Um, we have a very complex patient population who have experienced lots of different types of traumas, typically even on top of um, combat exposure. Um, and they are responding very well. Um, and this enriched um, intensive outpatient environment really gives people an opportunity to make those big changes. See, in, in one of the things, and this is um, um, definitely having the, the veteran, the service member, um, sort of um, away from their, their home environment, but also with other veterans. But the connection to the Wounded Warrior Project means that there is, um, that they're connected to a social network where they're at, like, you know, back in, in, in their home city. And then they also go back to that. It's one of the things that we often see is, uh, 
Um, you know, a, a veteran will go away to a, an intensive program, but then come back to their same environment and not have the same support. And that's not really sustainable. Right. Um, and that actually raises a couple of important points. One, one piece of our um, Emory Healthcare Veterans Program, as well as the other Warrior Care Network uh, programs, is that we have a VA liaison who's a VA social worker that's embedded in our program. Um, and that person helps with um, case management, bringing the person in, including records management, if the, if the warrior gives us the release that we can talk to the VA, then they'll help with that bringing in and they'll help with that treatment planning back home for, pa- for patients who are VA connected already. Um, and that's really nice because we can make sure that they have the resources for um, additional clinical contacts if that's needed for medication management, uh, for other ongoing services, physical issues that may be ongoing um, besides their PTSD. Um, we can make those arrangements as part of their discharge plan. Um, and that comes from that association with the VA. It comes from other community providers. Um, we start with discharge planning from before we even bring people into the program because we see that as such an important piece of what we're doing. Um, we don't want to get people better who are just going to backslide because they don't have resources. We want to move people to the best place we can get them in that two weeks and then make sure that they can continue to make gains or that they can maintain those gains that they've made while they worked with us. Another really important piece of our discharge plans um, for all of the people who come to our program is that we focus on um, reconnecting with your family and with your community. Um, And that might be through continued work with Wounded Warrior Project or um, Team Red, White, and Blue or uh, Team Rubicon, you know, any of the (laughs) organizations, but really helping people to think about what's the next step that I want to take in my life. Where can I find value um, for myself? Is that through work and then helping people get um, their resumes cleaned up or think through a job hunt? Um, Is that through volunteering? Is that through connecting with my family and doing different parenting exercises? Um, And that's a really important part of discharge planning is helping people to get a new uh, commitment, a new passion that's going to um, help them uh, feel good about themselves over the long haul. Right. You know, and this is actually something, um, maybe I haven't heard it explicitly with the veterans that I work with, but it's the idea of um, if it's not about my PTSD, who am I? Right. This is the, and I'm not saying it's all, you know, in their head, but this, this idea that this condition has taken up so much of my life, I don't want to live with it anymore. But then once I, once we're sort of done with that part, then what do I do? Um, and in connection to these organizations, um, it definitely is ones you missed in part of the Warrior Wellness Alliance. These organizations are designed to give the veteran what the veteran wants, right? If they want employment or community connection, then it's, um, the mission continues. If they want fitness, it's red, white, and blue. If they want to, you know, disaster relief and adventure and excitement, then it's, uh, you know, Team Rubicon. Um, and, and so that's also addressing another issue that I see most significantly is um, redefining themselves after the military. They're no longer the service member that they were. They're never actually going to be a civilian. They're this weird third thing called veteran. Um, and, and so that's addressing more of the purpose and meaning aspect of post-military life. When we take that, say, the gravity, the, the, the large rock in the blanket that PT, PTSD has been having for them. Right. Yeah, and that's, we see that as something that's really important. We want people to, to feel valued and to have purpose and passion in their life. Um, so we do as much as we can to help bring that back. Um, and when the PTSD is reduced again, I keep saying this, there's a lot more room for that other stuff, uh, for, for passion, for values, for family. Now, something that you had mentioned, obviously connection to the VA, but I'm curious to hear um, uh, the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program's um, take on those veterans that may not be eligible for the VA. Um, really, uh, we know, and maybe less now, but definitely at the height of the conflicts, the um, 
uh, the bad paper veterans, um, or veterans who I've, I've actually had veterans that were struggling significantly with substance abuse and PTSD. Um, but they're functioning in their lives and they have, um, you know, they have an income, which makes them ineligible for the VA because they don't have, there's, there's complicated factors that come into VA eligibility. Um, are there certain eligibility requirements for the veterans program that only match the VA or do you help veterans uh, outside of that? Um, great question. So for the, since Wounded Warrior Project funds the Warrior Care Network, all four of our sites are able to accept uh, warriors regardless of discharge status. So basically, um, it, you don't have to have an honorable discharge. We can take you regardless of discharge status as long as you're suffering with invisible wounds of war that our programs can address. Um, in addition, we don't have any um, requirements for income or not income or anything like that. If you do have insurance, we will uh, work to get reimbursed from the insurance, but all the co-pays, all of the services that are provided at all the Warrior Care Network sites are at no cost to the service member or veteran because um, they're paid by that Wounded Warrior Project generosity. And I think that's one thing that has emerged um, from many organizations have seen that is this fragmentation of um, we only serve a segment, um, and um, and it's good to hear that there is, you know, there's wider support. And, and I think that's something else that's important for veterans to hear. Uh, I work with a Justice Involved uh, Veterans Program, our, our local veterans court here, um, and we exist uh, or, or we're part of the program because we're our community providers serve those veterans the VA can't. Um, again, the bad paper veterans, but also here in Colorado Springs, we have a lot of active duty Air Force Army, um, you know, and so it's it's not limiting the the population that can be served. It's giving the veteran or the service member the the, the treatment that they need. Right. Yeah. And we so we can also see active duty that uh, that reminds me to make sure that people know we could see active duty as well. Um, it's a really nice um it's very nice to be able to offer care to people who don't have the option of the VA. Um, and, and we're very happy to do it. Um, oh, the other piece I was going to say is uh, we have some really good relationships with veterans courts in the area here in Georgia. Um, typically those are uh, people who are working through our standard outpatient program just because of um, how those referrals tend to get made initially, um, but we've had great relationships and we're working with lots of justice involved uh, veterans to help them have the PTSD again reduced so they can deal with other issues. So you talk about a complicated um, population and you mentioned it earlier. Um, so the veterans court programs are, are a, a problem solving court and there's a number of different ones. And, and this is as much for the audience as, as for you, Dr. Roush. But um, so a DUI court, a, um, you know, a divorce court or family court or something like that, a domestic violence court. Um, but what we see in our veterans um, for the veterans court, they meet all of those criteria. It could be a, a domestic violence situation that also has a DUI, that also someone that would be in a mental health court, essentially a veterans court, is is dealing with a very difficult population because, again, once we address this, the cause that got them in there, then we have to address the other issues. Very true. Very true. And we work closely uh, with a lot of several veterans courts in the area um, to try and pro provide services where we can. Um, I did want to mention another population that's uh, really important and that seems to really um, prefer getting their care in um, warrior care network sites, and that's military sexual trauma survivors, um, that we have a significant uh, chunk of the warriors that we're working with um, whose primary trauma, even though most of them have been in combat as well, um, their primary trauma, the memory that's haunting them the most is military sexual trauma related. Um, and those warriors do very well in our, both our outpatient and in our intensive outpatient programs. Um, we're seeing amazing results with uh, very, very tough, uh, complex patient histories. 
Now, and, and this is something, and I'm interested to hear maybe more of the uh, the structure of the program. Uh, again, with Rush University, when Dr. Brennan was on the show, he said that they have a number of um, cohorts, uh, two weeks for combat-related PTSD and a number of cohorts for military sexual trauma. They don't have male and female cohorts because, of course, you have female service members who are struggling with uh, combat-related PTSD, um, and you have male service members who have been victims of, of military sexual trauma. Um, so, so I'm interested to hear how um, the, the veterans program, um, do you have something separate or is it, is it set up in a different way? Um, our cohorts can fit uh, military sexual trauma, combat service members, men and women. Um, and uh, we don't have specific cohorts for any one of those. Um, that allows us to get people in more quickly. Um, and the reason that we're able to do that is that the memory, the trauma work is on an individual basis. Um, and the group work that's done is specifically focused on um, activities and things that are general. So that would be like your sleep hygiene, your um, substance relapse prevention, those sorts of things. Um, anything that's more individual to that person's trauma would be done on an individual basis. Um, and then the other piece that's really nice is uh, we have a two-week program and staggered starts. So each group um, starts one week, and then the second week that they're there, they're able to be in groups, uh, in some of their groups with people who are just starting and be a mentor and kind of pass on what they've learned in their first week of treatment. See, and that's something, again, um, as you well know, and, and I think even those listening who aren't mental health professionals, that's very important for veterans. I mean, mentorship is is, you know, what we received and what we did in the military. You know, our squad leaders taught us, you know, mentored us and platoon sergeants mentored squad leaders and so on. Um, you know, commanders um, uh, mentoring their platoon leaders. And so that um, this is one of the biggest things that, that I see that helps veterans in, in treatment specifically is the ability to first uh, be aware of what they're dealing with. This is how I'm dealing with it. And then be able to share that with their brothers and sisters um, because, you know, that's what we're all about is our shield covers our brother. Right. And, and as we're teaching other people, we tend to learn more about ourselves too. <laughs> as a therapist, I learn more about myself with each patient that I work with. And, and that's what we find with uh, the warriors in our program as well. The other thing that's really nice about our program is it's set up uh, based on exposure therapy, which is a treatment with a really large evidence base showing that it works for PTSD, but also it's very flexible. Um, and very individualized. So each person that comes in is getting their own personalized treatment plan um, and schedule. We're adding things or taking things off of their schedule based on the issues that are happening for them. Um, and so that's part of why I think we get such large reductions is that while they get the group enhancement in certain pieces of the programming, um, so they have that camaraderie. They also have a very individualized treatment program that's working with their issues and their PTSD. See, and I think, and it's really good to hear is the idea of the individual stuff being worked on an individual basis. Each each veteran's or service member's individual concern um, is worked on, like you said, one-on-one, -on -one. Um, but then the general stuff um, is you know, is done generally uh, because, as you mentioned uh, before, the, the prolonged exposure and the cognitive processing therapy, um, that works for PTSD regardless of the source of the PTSD, right? You know, it's, a, of course, everybody, you know, knows with veterans there's combat PTSD and then sexual trauma um, also is a common one. Uh, but things like natural disasters, I, I've actually um, worked with veterans that responded to Hurricane Katrina. They never left the U.S., but they developed a form of post-traumatic stress. They, not a form, they did develop post-traumatic stress disorder um, based on the aftermath of, of Katrina. Um, and, and so there are these things that regardless of what the, um, the source of the traumatic stress reaction is these evidence-based practices do actually work and they are out there and they can be proven um, to be effective. That's, that's very true. Yeah. The, um, it's, it's a, it's a memory that's stuck basically, but that's what PTSD is. Um, and you can have a memory that's stuck from combat, from natural disasters, from child sexual abuse, 
from, uh, you know, other horrible traumatic experiences that people have throughout their lives. Um, it's really that that memory is stuck and the interventions that work for making that memory get unstuck again, um, are the same regardless of, of how, you know, what type of memory it is that's stuck. Um, we, we use the same tools to get that memory to start being processed again. See, and I, I think that's, it's very important, uh, you know, for, for service members, veterans to understand. And even, uh, as you and I were talking about before the show is, is one of your goals is to make sure that people understand that these treatments do work, that, that PTSD, while it changes our neurological, you know, um, structures, you know, the amygdala, the hippocampus, there is evidence that those structures are changed. You don't have to continue to experience the high level of symptomology, the insomnia, the emotional reactions and things like that, that there are treatments out there that work, um, even though people may not know that they're out there or they may not believe that they're effective. Right. That Yeah, there's a lot of, of misinformation out there about treatments. Uh and there's a lot of, uh, it can be very tough to access a provider who really knows how to do prolonged exposure or cognitive processing therapy well. Um, I wanted to step back for a second, too, to talk about, um, you had mentioned that your brain changes with PTSD and your brain changes with exposure to trauma. There's actually really good research and evidence to show that um, prolonged exposure is actually changing your brain um, and CPT as well, that we're... Um, actually making parallel changes. We don't know that we're fixing it back to what it was before the trauma exposure, but we're um, making changes to the brain that are related to that treatment response. Um, and so that's really neat to see. I'll sometimes talk with my patients about that, that you, you don't have to suffer with this. We can work on it. It's going to um, help reduce your symptoms. It's also going to be making changes in your brain. As you learn, your brain changes. Um, the other thing that's really nice about uh, the Warrior Care Network sites and our Emory Healthcare Veterans Program is that this treatment is accessible for post 9-11 warriors um, based on the generosity of Wounded Warrior Project that they actually pay for travel, they pay for the um, food while people are here, they pay for them to stay in the hotel across the street for the two weeks. So it's really taking out those um, a lot of those barriers to care that can interfere with people being able to access care. We've got people specialized to do this treatment, um, you know, with the, the top-notch <laughs> expertise. This is what they're doing day in and day out. Um, and you can access them um, by calling and um, going through the screening process. And I think that's critically important. I've said it before and I'll say it often is uh, veterans don't need much of a reason to avoid mental health treatment. Like any reason is a good reason, right? I, I don't feel well today yep. or, yep. you know, or, or I didn't, you know, I mean, I've actually had veterans that, uh, you know, at the end of a session with the first session with me, they said, okay, I wasn't going to, I was going to give you a chance. Um, and I wasn't sure I was going to come back. This was going to be it, but I think I'll come back next time. Right. It, so veterans will come into mental health treatment expecting, you know, it to not work. Right. And, and, and even that's sort of a, a negative viewpoint that, that we can work on. Um, but this idea of reducing as many barriers as possible so that anytime an objection comes up, so no, we got that handled, right? Or we got this handled. Even as we said before, is the objection that I said that somebody thinks no way this works in two weeks. Well, it, it actually does and we can prove that it does. Um, so it's great. And this is the, the, um, the significant thing that I appreciate is that the Wounded Warrior Project partnering with these centers of excellence around the country have worked to reduce these barriers so that you have no reason to avoid. Um, and ultimately it's to your benefit. Right. Yeah. It, that's one of the big pieces that's really improved uh, by ha by this program is uh, we're trying to remove those barriers. We're trying to get people in as quickly as possible. Cause again, if it's going to be three months before you can come for care, someone with PTSD, that three months is going to be um, every reason to not come then when, when we finally get there. Uh, so trying to get people in as quickly as possible for the treatments that we think have the most um, likelihood of benefiting them, the most likelihood of reducing those PTSD symptoms. Uh, now, and, and this is... Um... This is something I think that as I talk about the Warrior Care Network and the, the four centers around the country, 
Um, what if a veteran isn't connected to the Wounded Warrior Project? Um, what if they're not actually working with WWP? Um, can they contact um, uh, Emory directly uh, or a provider help a, in, and then you sort of work with the Wounded Warrior Project that way? Or does somebody actually have to be involved with the Wounded Warrior Project from the beginning? So um, you can go to the Wounded Warrior Project directly or you can contact our Emory Healthcare Veterans Program directly. Um, we actually have a 1-800 number and part of what we do is if you would like to get connected with Wounded Warrior Project, um, we'll also connect you with Wounded Warrior Project. But um, if you're wanting care, the easiest and quickest way to get into the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program would be to call our 1-800 number, which is 888-514-5345. And when you call that number, you get one of our um, PCCs, our uh, patient care coordinators. Um, there, some of them are veterans. Uh, most of them are veterans, actually, to talk with you about our brief screening criteria and the programs that we offer, answer any questions, um, and that would get you started right into the program. You don't have to have been connected to Wounded Warrior Project before. See, and I, I appreciate that again, this idea of there's no wrong door, right? And and maybe that's becoming a buzzword uh, along with transition and resilience in our, our post-military lives. Um, but, but really not having to jump through hoops. And again, this is the idea of reducing as many barriers as possible um, to, to actually getting help. Yeah. And that's what, uh, that's what we're all about. The other piece is if someone contacts us and we're not a good fit for them, we're typically trying to find, well, what, what would be a good fit for this person? Um, are there services in their community? Are there other organizations that would uh, be able to help out in this situation? So we do a lot of that as well for, uh, for people who were not able to um, address their primary issues when they contact us. And unfortunately, as you mentioned before we started talking, is is just not enough people know about it. Um, you know, uh, being in the mental health field, not being in the VA, but even maybe even some VA providers, not. You know, we we tend to to look at the field that we're plowing and and not look at someone else's field. Um, has it been difficult to get the word out about um, uh, the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program? Um. I would say it's it's getting a little bit easier, but I, we still feel like the best kept secret in, in Atlanta uh, for our warriors. Um, so yeah, and, each, and getting that word out, and we're trying to get word of mouth uh, spread. So the people who have been through our program, we we know we're getting a significant number of referrals uh, from of their friends and other military service members that they've known. Um, so we've got that word of mouth from the people who've been through the program. We just haven't been open long enough to really have that be a, a large mass of people yet. Um, so at telling people we're on the Internet, we're using social media, we have, you know, ads and things, but we're still not. Uh, we, we want more people to know. We want uh, we want to have every seat filled every week when we open um, you know, and I think, and I totally agree. Many of us in the mental health field are, are feeling the same way, saying, you know, we know what we, the product that we have can solve your problem. Um, but if we don't get out there and we don't communicate um, on how effective it is, then we're not going to really be able to provide that service. Uh, but the other piece I think is very critical. Uh, in, and I've noticed that veterans actually need permission to seek mental health, not permission that I will allow you to, but permission in that it's okay to do this um, and coming from your alumni and coming from the, the uh, wounded warrior project and warrior care network alumni as a whole um, I've seen mental health be treated as generally bad so that, or they would generalize a bad experience. If a veteran goes into a mental health provider and has a bad experience, all mental health providers are bad. Don't bother. It didn't work for me. It's garbage. But if it's a good experience, it's a very specific experience in that, if I had a good experience at Emory, you should only go to Emory or you should only go to this particular provider um, because that's what worked for me. Um, and, and that's where I see a lot of these conversations trying to change that, say, no, there are many different ways. There, there are a lot of roads lead to Rome and, uh, and you can get recovery. You can get relief from your symptoms and what's going on um, simply by getting over those barriers and, and taking a chance. 
That's true. That's true. We have a, a team of veteran outreach coordinators um, that's part of the Emory Veterans Program. So those are veterans who are going out to military settings, going out to any place where warriors may be congregating to get that message out and to tell people about what we're doing and um, the services that are no cost to the veteran. Um, so they're really trying to get that word out. But I think what you said is exactly right. When the experience is bad, then they generalize it to everything. Um, and when the experience is good, then it, they uh, keep it specific to that one person or provider. Um, so we're really trying to say we've got a, a great program. There are other programs in the Warrior Care Network that are also great. Uh, we have a network of VA providers as well that we coordinate and, and manage patients with who are also outstanding. Um, and we can help bring you into a, a very rich resource network. See, and hopefully even this conversation is is definitely going to continue to get the word out. And and so in, in doing that, and you mentioned the 1-800 number, and I'll definitely make sure that that's in the show notes. But um, if somebody's listening to this, maybe a family member, a caregiver in the community or a veteran themselves, how can they find out more about the Emory Healthcare Veterans Program? So the best place would be uh, you can go to our website, which um, actually if you Google Emory Healthcare Veterans Program, it's probably the easiest way. Um, and then our 1-888 number, the 888-514-5345, you can call that number and our patient care coordinators will talk with you about our program. We'll take you through a screening process and get you hooked up. Um, our website has lots of information about the program. If you're interested in knowing more, like what are the pieces that we offer? How do we do family interventions? All of that is on the website. We've got um, patient stories. So actually patients who have agreed to let us uh, tell their videos of their stories, they're also on the site and some videos about um, kind of our program generally. So there's lots of resources on the website for you to just check it out if you're not quite sure that you want to make that call yet. Um, you can also write on the website. You can fill out an online form for someone to give you a call back as well. That's great. And again, the idea of reducing as many barriers as possible because, you know, it's, um, uh, the veterans served and, and they don't need to continue to suffer as a result of their service. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you. I really enjoyed being here today and talking with you about our great program and uh, serving our post 9-11 warriors. Absolutely. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. It was great to be able to highlight another program of the Warrior Wellness Alliance. If you want to hear more about the Warrior Wellness Alliance, check out my conversation with Casey Kelly in episode 54 along with my discussion with Michael Brennan of the Rush University Road Home Program, highlighting the great work of the Warrior Care Network is very important. These programs have been proven to help veterans overcome things that they've been wrestling with for a long time. If you want to learn more about them and how to get connected, check out the show notes. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to find out more information about this episode, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST131. If you want to show your support for the work that we're doing, make sure to subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We're always looking for guests, either veterans or those who support them. You can drop me a line at info at veteranmentalhealth.com to recommend guests, or you can go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion or request. I'm happy to announce that I've released a paperback version of the first Headspace and Timing book. It's been available on Kindle for a couple of years, but now you can get it along with Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. To check them out, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I'm a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track Not Alone from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player. 
Until next time, remember veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.